Chapter 19 of The Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Resurgam. Next evening, Rupert received a curt note from Marlin stating that Carrington had replied to the effect that he would come down to Barship on the ensuing day and would reach the big house at twelve o'clock. Pleased with the information, since the interview was likely to settle the question of the vicar's murder once and for all, Hendel took it upon himself to arrange matters. To compel plain speaking on the part of the slippery barrister, it was necessary that witnesses should be present for the purpose of proving beyond question his presence in barship on the night of the crime. Without doubt, Carrington would twist and turn like an eel in his efforts to escape from the corner in which the procurable evidence would place him. Rupert, weary of mystery and worry, made up his mind that the man should be finally brought to book and therefore went in search of Dr. Tollard. Now that Inspector Lawson was to be dragged into the matter for the purpose of arresting the culprit, there was no need for further secrecy. And besides, visiting the doctor, Hindle intended to call on Ark for his testimony. Faced by these two witnesses, it would not be easy for Carrington to win free. Mrs. Beetson duly went away for her so-called holiday, which was simply a preface to her dismissal. Her presence was not required at the coming interview, as what she knew and what she had done did not touch immediately on Carrington's guilt. Also, neither Dorinda nor Sophie was to be present, as they could give no first-hand evidence. Rupert himself, Marlin, Ark, and the doctor were the necessary people to prove that Carrington had struck the blow and the squire employed Kit to bring Lawson from Tarhaven for his share in the proceedings. And so that everything should be prepared beforehand for Lawson's action, Rupert arranged that the officer should not arrive at the big house until one o'clock. This would give Rupert and his friends sixty minutes to bring Carrington to bay. Tollert was both startled and surprised when the squire called to explain why his presence was required at the big house. He had thought little of Carrington's presence in the train on that fatal evening and had not in any way connected his presence in barship with the tragic death of Lee. This he explained to his visitor and suggested that, after all, some mistake had been made in crediting the barrister with the commission of the crime. But Hindle, determined to put an end to all mystery, explained to Tollard all about the discovery of the will and pointed out what a leading part the document had played in ensuing events. Tollard, who for once was sober, expressed his amazement and regret, less for the vicar's death than for Rupert's probable loss of his property. "'And surely,' said Tollard in his husky voice and with his big red face expressing sympathy, Surely Mullen will not take everything from you, even if this will proves to be legal. Oh, the will appears to be legal enough, doctor, and knowing my cousin as you do, you may expect him to grab everything. He'll make a bad squire. 
That's his lookout, replied Hindle with a shrug. A bad lookout for the parish, Hindle. I don't set myself up for a saint, as I have my feelings. But Maulin, the doctor made a face. Why, he'll ruin the place. Don't give in to him. If only for the sake of Barship, fight him to the bitter end. Oh, I'll protect my interests as best I can, you may be sure, answered Rupert, pleased that Tollett was on his side. But that matter can be attended to later. What we have to do now is to force Carrington into confession. I take it that you are sure it was Carrington who came down in the same train with you, Doctor. Certainly. I know him well by sight, as he called on me when he first visited you to get some remedy for toothache. I never forget a face, and I saw your friend both on the Liverpool Street platform and at the Barship station. Did Carrington try to escape observation? Well, I hardly know. He did not see me, so far as I know, and he had a heavy overcoat on, which was strange considering how sultry was the evening. The collar was turned up, I remember, mused the doctor thoughtfully. Well, yes, I think he was anxious not to be recognized. I never thought anything about the matter, you know, Hindle, as I believed he was coming down to stay with you. As he was with you the next day, my belief was natural enough. Quite so, assented the squire, but he must have returned on the same night to town, perhaps by the midnight express from Tarhaven. His visit to me only dated from twelve o'clock the next day, when he arrived by the midday train. Hmm, and he knew about the will? Mrs. Beetson told him, I expect he wished to get it, to sell it to me. Ah, he doesn't know what an honest man you are, Hindle. He knows now, responded Rupert dryly. However, I understand that you will come to the big house at twelve o'clock tomorrow to give evidence. Certainly, certainly. And, Rupert hesitated with an awkward look. Oh, I'll be sober, said Tollett with a defiant laugh. I'm not quite so bad as people make out. You can depend upon my doing everything I can to help you, Hindle, as I have a great regard for you. And the burly doctor shook hands warmly with the squire. Rupert went away feeling sorry that a man with such a good heart should be a slave to a despicable vice, and wondering if there was no way in which he could be reformed. Tollert, when sober, was a clever physician, but when in his cups made endless mistakes. And for a medical man to make mistakes is dangerous, seeing that he is dealing with matters of life and death. However, much as Hindle wished to assist Tollert to lead a better life and give his undoubted abilities a chance, this was not the moment to attend to the matter, as there were more immediately important matters to be looked into. So having secured Tollard as a witness, the squire walked to Ark's abode. This was a tumble-down cottage on the verge of the churchyard, which stood in a well-kept garden, surrounded by a wall of loose stones. Here lived the old sexton and his grandson in tolerable comfort. The neat looks of the garden were due to Tobias Ark, for his grandfather took no interest in such things. 
Tobias himself was a lean, dark-faced man, taciturn and rather melancholy, perhaps by reason of his funeral employment. He was digging in the flower-beds when the squire approached the gate, and hastened to come forward with a surly touch of his forelock. In answer to Rupert's inquiry, he admitted that his grandfather was in the cottage, and said he would send him out to hear what the squire had to say. Hendel did not mind waiting at the gate, as he had no wish to enter Ark's stuffy abode. Whoa! It be the squire, piped Titus when his grandson went in and he came out, like the little old man and woman in the weather gauge. And what be you here for, squire? There bain't and be no funerals, surely. No, Titus, no. I have come to ask you about what you said to Miss Mullen. Ah! Ark looked tremendously cunning, and his face wrinkled up like that of a monkey gloating over a nut. And what might that be, Squirr? You told her that you saw Mr. Carrington near the vicarage on the night that Mr. Lee died. Mr. Lee bain't dead, I tell you, Squirr. Yes, yes, Titus, we know all about that, replied Rupert soothingly for he was well aware of the fixed idea which dominated the old man. But you saw Mr. Carrington about the house? Yes, I did, when walking round the vicarage, not being able to sleep, me being old beyond telling, young sir, and the night being warm like. Yes, continued Ark garrulously. I see him sure enough. He come down the road in the moonlight, dressed as if it were winter, and went into the vicarage gardens. But Lord bless ye, Squire, I did think as he'd gone to see the vicar, and never thought aught of him being there. But the next morning, Titus, when you heard the vicar was dead, he bain't dead, I tell you, Squire, persisted the ancient crossly. Evidently it was useless to try and beat sense into the old creature's head, so Rupert argued no further. Ark could evidently swear to Carrington's presence in the vicinity of the vicarage on the night in question, and that was the main point. Well, Titus, we won't talk about the vicar, being alive or dead. I want you to come tomorrow to the big house to tell Mr. Carrington that you saw him on... Be Mr. Carrington there tomorrow? inquired the ancient, his eyes glittering and evidently eager. Yes, at twelve o'clock. Can you swear that you saw him on that night? Before the king and the lord chancellor, grunted the sexton. Aye, for sure I can say so, Squire. Oh, I'll be there, sir. I'll be there. He rubbed his old wrinkled, snarled hands gleefully. I'll tell you what I know, Squire. We think that Mr. Carrington killed the vicar. Muster Lee, he bain't dead, I tell you, said Titus for the third time and very irritably, after which he shuffled back to the cottage, annoyed that his constant statement was not accepted. And it was queer that the old man should persist in declaring the vicar to be alive, seeing that he had assisted to lay him in the family vault, which was visible from his abode. However, Rupert, Having impressed upon Ark that he was to be at the big house at twelve o'clock next day, did not trouble himself with the ancient's fancies. So long as Ark could swear, as he evidently could, 
that Carrington had been haunting the vicarage on the night of the murder, what he believed about the vicar not being dead mattered little. The man was senile and was crazy on the one point, although he appeared to be clear enough on that other concerned with Carrington's presence at the vicarage. Rupert did not trouble his head further about the matter, but returned home satisfied that the two witnesses would confound Carrington in the moment of his fancied triumph. Nothing of any moment happened during the rest of the day or the next morning when the meeting was to take place. Kit appeared with a spick-and-span machine before midday and was sent over by Hendel to Tarhaven to bring back the inspector by one o'clock and Rupert informed the boy that while on the way back he could tell Lawson all that had been discovered so as to obviate the necessity of explanations. In fact, as Hindle said, it would be best for Kit to relate everything immediately he arrived at the police station in Tarhaven so that the inspector could get a warrant for the barrister's arrest. So Kit went off in high glee, delighted at being able to do something for his hero, and Rupert returned thoughtfully to his library, where Mullen was already waiting. Suppose Carrington doesn't come, suggested the squire, who was very nervous. Oh, he'll come right enough, explained Mullen grimly. I said in my letter that today you intended to arrange here about the transfer of the property to me under John Hindle's will and that we both wanted him to be present. You don't suppose that he has any suspicions of the truth? Oh, to be sure he hasn't. After all, but for Tollert's evidence and that of old Ark, we should never have been able to nail him. I tell you, Rupert, that Carrington has not the least idea of what is about to happen. Poor devil, and yet he deserves his fate. The murder of Lee was cowardly in the extreme. It was, assented the other. Don't be a tender-hearted fool, man. I would rather be a fool according to my life than a wise man according to yours, Mullen. And I am quite content, chuckled the little man, for no one but a fool would give up the property as you are doing. I haven't given it up yet, said Rupert, disgusted with this brutal speech and I may not be the fool you take me to be. For all his insolence, Mullen was plainly disconcerted by this frank statement, and began to think that he had gone too far. A muttered apology was on his lips, but was cut short by the entrance of Dr. Tollert. Immediately behind him shuffled old Ark, who seated himself near the door, chuckling and rubbing his hands with the air of a man who was highly pleased with himself. Mullen and the doctor, who were by no means friends, exchanged a curt greeting, and Tollert, turning his back on the prospective squire of Barship, talked ostentatiously to Rupert. Mr. Carrington will be here almost at once, he declared, drawing off his gloves slowly. He walked up behind Ark and myself as we reached the gates. Even as he spoke, the footman appeared to announce the barrister. Carrington, evidently considering himself master of the situation, walked in with a victorious air. He looked smart and alert, being quite in his best form. In a well-cut suit of blue serge, 
with a straw hat and brown shoes he had apparently arrayed himself in his best to receive the money he expected of course he did not anticipate that the five thousand would be handed to him at once but when things were arranged between hindel and Mullen as to the possession of the property then carrington intended to get a promise in writing of his share of the plunder not for one moment did he think that anything was wrong and he even offered his hand to rupert with an insolent air of pity every dog has his day hindel he said maliciously this is mine don't be too sure replied rupert rejecting the proffered hand there is many a slip between cup and lip remember you are full of wisdom sneered carrington well you will need it all to earn money when you are a pauper hindle stepped forward until he towered over the smaller man and spoke slowly don't tempt me to give you the thrashing which i let you off with the other day carrington he muttered let us get to business and rid me of your presence as soon as possible oh i am ready to go into business as soon as you like retorted the barrister still triumphant but why is dr tollard here i am here said tollard gruffly to state to your face that you were in barship on the night when lee was murdered carrington started and in spite of his self-command winced at the plain speech his swarthy face grew slightly pale but he still maintained his air of bravado well then i am not here to talk about lee's murder he said viciously but to see about this transfer of the hindle estates to my friend mr Mullen. don't call me your friend growled Mullen ferociously you are no friend of mine all you want is to get money out of me take care said carrington glancing at the others remember what i know and what do you know demanded Mullen coolly something you would not like anyone else to hear you can say what you like and before anyone you like ah carrington now began to see that things were not so safe as he had imagined you mean to go back on your bargain i never made any bargain you beast and what is more i don't intend to make any yonder is dr tollert who can swear that you came down to barship on the night lee was murdered and yonder is titus ark who saw you enter the vicarage grounds they are both liars cried carrington taken off his guard i baintn't a liar said ark rising and tottered toward the barrister and war i a younger man i'd make ye pay for saying so he shook a snarled fist in carrington's face i did see you round about the vicarage i swear to it if needs be before judge and jury i baintn't afeard and you will be required to swear before judge and jury said hindel in a cold measured tone when carrington is in the dock in the dock carrington stepped back trying to command his nerves for he now began to understand the full extent of his peril and on what charge you killed lee growled Mullen savagely yes you did so don't deny it you criminal 
and you dare to accuse me. I do accuse you, said Carrington, driven to bay and becoming fierce out of sheer desperation. It was you who killed Lee to get that will. I accuse you in the presence of these witnesses. Shaw, said Rupert contemptuously. What is the use of your talking, Carrington? The game's up. We have got you down here to have you arrested. You can't arrest me, said the barrister with an air of bravado. I shall go at once to Tarhaven and give information against Mullen. Rupert got between the barrister and the door, toward which he was retreating swiftly. Stop where you are, he commanded. There will be no need for you to go to Tarhaven. In an hour, Inspector Lawson will be here. And then, if you dare, you can lay an information against Marlin. Oh! Carrington winced and grew very white. This is a trap! It is, said Marlin with malignant satisfaction. And I have lured you into it. You accuse me, do you? Ha! We'll see what you'll say when the handcuffs are on your wrists. Handel, Carrington turned to his former friend with a cry, half of rage and half of fear. Will you stand by and hear this said of me? Why should I interfere? said Hindle stolidly. You are only reaping as you have sown. To get money you were prepared to accuse me as you have accused Mullen, and all the time you are the criminal as we now know. I am not, shouted the miserable man, trembling. You can't prove that I did the deed. I can prove that you came down to Barship on that night, said Tollard. And who will take the word of a drunkard? Tollard rushed at the barrister and would have struck him, but that Rupert pushed his big body between the two. Don't lose your temper, Tollard. What does it matter? Carrington will have plenty to do to clear himself without calling anyone silly names. You understand he added, turning toward the lawyer, that Ark and the doctor can swear to your presence in Barship on the night when Lee was killed. You knew from me about the will and came down to murder the vicar. I did not. Even if I had wanted the will, I should not have murdered him. Pshaw, said Rupert again, and pushing his advantage relentlessly, all this denial will not serve you. Perhaps you may not have intended to murder the vicar when you struck the blow. I will do you that justice. But, as Lee had a weak heart, you went too far and he died. Then you took the will and buried it under the sundial. I didn't know where the sundial was, interpolated Carrington, shivering. That's a lie, snarled Mullen swiftly. For on the first day I met you, I took you round the garden and, among other things, pointed out the sundial. You buried the will there and then sent an anonymous letter to Mrs. Beetson so that she might find it and avert suspicion from yourself. You believed that Rupert would buy your silence to keep the property, and failing his doing so, you came to threaten me. And I do. You were at the vicarage on that night. How do you know that? Carrington saw that he had said too much and glanced toward the door in the hope of getting away. But Rupert was between him and safety, and Rupert looked as stern and determined as a destroying angel. You needn't think you will escape, Carrington, he said. 
as you have sown so you must reap and your reaping will place a rope around your neck said mullen grimly you came to have me hanged but you will go away under lawson's escort to be hanged yourself i was at the vicarage on that night i wanted to see lee about getting the will but i did not leave my cottage until eleven and by that time you had murdered lee i did not i did not and carrington winced and cringed and shivered with all the courage oozing out of him you did it was you i struggled with in the avenue when you came out after burying the will under the sundial you snatched at my watch-chain and got the opal in the matrix yes said rupert taking up the story and when we went to examine the hole where the will was buried you dropped the opal when my back was turned and allowed me to find it so that the blame might be thrown on Mullen. it's a lie said carrington folding his arms and looking dogged and i wonder at you defending a man who is going to rob you of your property i dare say you do wonder retorted the squire acidly honest behavior is always a mystery to you no wonder you followed mrs beeson and induced me to do so carrington you had written that anonymous letter to her and knew that she was going to find the will your plot was a very clever one but it has failed completely and i dare swear it has failed said tollard in his booming voice because the squire is such an honest man by this time the perspiration was streaming down carrington's face he was now in danger of his life and knew it only too well yet the man was brave enough and doggedly refused to admit what was said in spite of the overwhelming evidence rupert had no cause to love his treacherous friend and regretted that he was obliged to have him arrested yet could not help admiring the persistent way in which the man fought for his liberty and life who accuses me of being in barship on that night he demanded raising his head a drunkard doctor and a senile sexton those are nice witnesses they have been bribed by mullen to save his own skin i don't waste money in unnecessary bribes snapped mullen and i don't take money for performing my duty said the doctor frowning i have one great fault which everyone knows of i may be a drunkard but i am not a murderer he finished scathingly i am not a murderer persisted carrington fighting desperately and gaining courage now that he found himself with his back to the wall i never came down to barship on that night i can prove that i was in london you will have every opportunity of clearing yourself at the trial said rupert glancing at his watch lawson will be here soon with a warrant for your arrest no 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 the cry was forced from the barrister against his will it is impossible for lawson to arrest me i never saw lee on that night titus ark rose in a creaky manner from his chair and shambled toward the miserable man i do say as you did see him he croaked and so does tollard snapped Marlin that is he can say you were in barship on that night hark hindle i believe lawson has arrived rupert hurried to the window and saw a vehicle pass round the corner toward the front door it's a trap and not a motor he said puzzled 
Who can it be, I wonder? I know, I know, said Titus, shuffling toward the door. I know one as can say you saw Mr. Lee on that night, and he disappeared. More lies, said Carrington, wiping his face. Oh, I'll make you all pay dearly for this day's work. And he wiped his face while he set his teeth to battle to the end. There was a shuffling noise in the hall, and Rupert stepped toward the door. He opened it, and then fell back with a cry of amazement. Supported by Titus and his grandson, Simon Lee staggered into the room. I said he weren't dead, chuckled the ancient. Now didn't I, squirrel. End of chapter 19